1: Welcome to our show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hanson. And we are here every Thursday night at this time to bring relevant information to our viewers about the polygamy that Joseph Smith taught was the way into God's heaven and exaltation of the faithful polygamist. An announcement for our viewers before we get started Uh, our viewers who are out of a polygamist environment who are thinking of getting out and would like to meet and talk with others who have trod that road before them. Um, We are having a support group or a discussion group, as we call it, on February 24th at 6.30 p.m. And um, that's Monday night. And we welcome people from... Uh, Every Mormon polygamy group or polygamy environment who are questioning or have been questioning or having doubts, uh, we do not encourage you to doubt your doubts. We encourage you to investigate your doubts, and that's what you should be doing, and if you want to do that, you're invited to come to this discussion group. You can email us, tv at about polygamy.com for full information uh, of where it's going to be. And we encourage those who have been in a false religion to seek a support group or a support system that will help you. Sometimes it can be very difficult, but the freedom and the finding the truth is certainly well worth it. So that's February 24th, 6.30 p.m. Uh, We'd love to have you and bring a friend. Also, on Tuesday, February 18th, I've been invited to speak at Brigham City to talk about polygamy today, and parts of my own life, being born and raised in a polygamy group and in a polygamy family. And it's going to be at Main Street Church at Brigham City. Uh, the address is 48 North Main. It's will start about noon, and I'd like to invite anyone who would like to come to to come on up and maybe I can meet new acquaintances, make new acquaintances, and also new friends, and also meet some of uh, old friends there as well. So that's next Tuesday, uh, February 18th at noon. And a short comment for our critics, we received a few remarks about the content of last week's show when we critiqued the article on polygamy as posted by the Mormon Church on LDS.org. Now, their article there explaining early Mormon polygamy was deceitful at best. However, we were criticized because we talked about the LDS Church when they say we are only supposed to talk about polygamy. Well, the entire show was about polygamy. From beginning to end, every bit of our show was about polygamy. And if you cannot be honest enough with yourself to accept the fact that the Mormon Church is neck deep in polygamy, we can't help that. We tell it like it is, and we produce all the historical references to back it up. And we're sorry that you were offended by hearing the truth, but we will never apologize for telling the truth. And what did we say that wasn't true? You know, those who depend upon polygamy for eternal life also depend upon the Mormon church for their scriptures and they are directly affected by any changes that the LDS has made and does make to the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Prize, the Doctrine and Covenants, and so on. And recently, they have made some changes to their scriptures. And some of these changes are rather amazing. So the first half of our show tonight, we're going to focus on some of those changes. And the second half, we are going to briefly discuss the apostasy in Sweden as it pertains to the sanitized history of Joseph Smith and their lack of transparency and honesty in portraying the truth about his polygamy and other doctrines to which the Mormon fundamentalists cling. So for this discussion, we have our returning guest whom we always love to have here with us and who is always up to date on what's going on in this culture and who has forgotten more than most of us will ever know about our topic. I would like to introduce and welcome our guest tonight, Sandra Tanner.
2: Good to be here. (laughs) Good to have
1: you again. All right. (laughs) Uh, In our little adventure here as we do this. So, uh, for viewers perhaps who are not familiar with what you do, would you like to briefly explain what you do? And we'll put on the screen your address and and, uh, the name of your ministry
2: Uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministry. We're at 1358 South West Temple in Salt Lake City, Utah. Our webpage is utlm.org. And I'm there most days during the week. Uh, people can stop in the bookstore and talk to me. And uh, we have just a ton of material on our website that uh, tells about the uh, different problem areas of Mormonism, uh, Bible verses comparing Christianity and Mormon doctrine, plus uh, just all sorts of pages on the historical aspects of Mormonism, how mm-hmm. it's changed through the years.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of wonderful information there. It's very good. So I encourage you to go there, 1358 well, uh, Southwest South, West Temple. Temple, across the street from the ball field, right? Yes. And you also, your ministry also uh, produces newsletters, I think, yes. maybe twice a year. Yes. And, and tonight we're going to be talking about uh, two, two of, of those newsletters from <laughs> yeah. last year. Uh, and it's called, the newsletter is called the Salt Lake City Messenger. So how would our viewers get a hold of your newsletter?
2: Well, uh, they can uh, either email me at sandra at or they can go to our website, and uh, on the order form, you can request... To receive the newsletters or to be put on the mailing list.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, because when you when you find out what we're talking about tonight, you may want to get a hold of both of the newsletters we're going to be discussing. Uh, The first one that we're going to talk about is newsletter 120, and it is entitled "What's Hidden in the New Headings." I think a copy, I think a graphic of this will go up on the screen, Uh, and it's talking about. Uh, the changes that have been made in the LDS scriptures. Of course, Mm -hmm. we don't have time to go through all of the changes, but enough so that we can give them an idea and they can get your Mm -hmm. newsletter and read the whole thing. So the recent changes in the scriptures, in a nutshell, when were these Mm -hmm. revisions or adjustments um, in their text made and are they now printed up in their books?
2: Well, they announced this last year, but uh, it's... If you went online to the LDS website and looked at their scriptures, they would have that current edition with the corrections made up on the internet. Mm -hmm. However, I don't know if they've yet come out to purchase in the stores with the changes. Uh, The last uh, paperback copy I got of their scriptures uh, still did not show those adjustments. So uh, I'm not sure at what point their stock runs out of the old printing and they get new printing in. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. But it's on the internet. The the uh, scriptures they currently have on their website mm-hmm. show okay. that,
1: Okay, okay show
2: the new he- headings and the, changes. The new
1: headings, so they can compare what we're yeah. talking about tonight by going on the website to do that. Uh, a valid question uh, that people would ask is, if the Mormon God doesn't change and his decrees are unalterable, how do they dare change what they previously said God
2: said? Yeah. Well, uh, in this case, they they aren't really so much changes to what would be termed scripture. They're to the introductions to the chapters Mm -hmm. or the different articles that they have finessed the wording on. So a Mormon could say, "Well, that's not really our scriptures. That's just the introduction to our scriptures." But uh, there have been changes made in the actual text of the revelations and scriptures themselves, which they can see on our website. We uh, talk about the different ones in different uh, articles on our website. Mm -hmm. (coughs) But the changes that they've just made this last year were to the introduction and headings to different articles in their scriptures, which shows a change in their perception of uh, how they market their story. Mm -hmm. Instead of the old claims where they made specific claims about the American Indian being the descendants of the American Indian, of the uh, Book of Mormon peoples, they're toning it down, they're toning down statements about polygamy, they're toning down statements on race, Mm -hmm. uh, which all shows how they're moving to be more, trying to be more acceptable to uh, the world today, uh, whereas their statements in the past were much more specific, now they're getting more generalized, Yeah, it's just part of this whole process of making Mormonism more acceptable.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, let's start with the Book of Abraham Um, in the nineteen. Now, this is the in the beginning is the uh, of the pearl great price it talks about the book of abraham and so that's where we're talking here in the 1981 introduction of the pearl of great price when it as regarding the book of abraham it says we're going to put these up on the screen uh, side by side so you can see the differences Um, on the 1981 introduction it reads uh, the book of Abraham a translation from some Egyptian papyri that came into the hands of Joseph Smith in 1835 containing writings of the patriarch Abraham the 2013 changes uh, will read the book of Abraham an inspired translation of the writings of Abraham. Joseph Smith began the translation in 1835 after obtaining some Egyptian papyri. So Sandra, explain these changes to us.
2: Well, there has been so much written about the Book of Abraham not being a translation from the papyri that Joseph bought. That the Mormon church realizes they've got to back off from the specific claims they've made in the past. And so while this 18, 1981 says that uh, specifically that it's a translation from some papyri, mm-hmm. that's a specific claim that the papyri contained the book of Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so now they're backing off from that because the LDS leaders know Egyptologists say there is nothing in that papyri that says anything about Abraham. So now they want to paint it as though, oh, well, he looked at the papyri and then he got a revelation about the book of Abraham. And they're they're trying to finesse a distance between the, the text of the book of Abraham and the papyri. But up until Egyptologists started talking about all this in the last 20 years, it was all specifically, it was translated from the papyri. Yeah, yeah
1: translated. That translated that exactly what I ever learned was translated. So now they're yeah. going to say it's inspired rather than, than translated. Yeah. And, and so, But he needed that in order to get the inspiration, I guess?
2: Well, that's the question. <laughs> if you're not going to literally, literally translate the papyri, why would Smith spend $2,400 to purchase the papyri? In Kirtland, Ohio, this is in 1835 when the Mormon church is going broke. Yeah. And you would spend that much church money to buy these. If they weren't really what you were translating, why would you spend the money on it? Mm-hmm. Why couldn't you just look at the book of Genesis and get an
3: inspiration, and get an
2: inspiration from that for the writings of Abraham? So the, in the beginning, it was very specific that these papyri mm-hmm. were really written by Abraham and he was going to translate it. And now we had the true story from right not genesis corrupt version we got the real deal now yeah
1: yeah and then we find out that isn't <coughs> even true anyway so uh and and they also removed the heading of the book of abraham the beginning of a book it said translated from the papyrus by joseph smith now yeah. they completely removed that
2: yeah they they keep tweaking things t- so that they can more and more move away from the specific claim of translating and speak now in terms of it's an inspired document. It's an inspired scripture mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of translated instead scripture. Instead of
1: translated. So beginning with the introduction to the Book of Mormon. So yeah. we're gonna do the same comparison here with, with the changes. In the first sentences of the 1981 edition, uh, we read, the Book of Mormon is a volume of Holy Scripture comparable to the Bible. It is a record of God's dealings with the ancient inhabitants of the Americas and contains as does the Bible the fullness of the everlasting gospel. Now this new the new conversion. scriptures coming out has removed as does the Bible. So the Bible used to carry it and now it doesn't is that what they're saying? What what, what is this all about? Why would they remove the Bible?
2: Well, I think in the beginning, when they first put that phrase in there, they're trying to put the Christian world at ease. We're not trying to supplant the Bible. We're trying to teach the same things as the Bible, as they try to get a foothold into the Christian community and get people to convert into the movement. But then somewhere along the line, I am assuming, someone pointed out to the church leaders, well, if the Bible has all the gospel in it, then why did we need the later scriptures? Exactly. Exactly. So, ah, um, moment of thought, you know, okay, we'll take that out. So that doesn't say that the Bible also contains the whole gospel
3: mm-hmm.
2: because you have to make room for why you need Mormon scriptures. So they right. now they edited right. the phrase out, so it doesn't tell you that the Bible also contained all the doctrine.
1: Okay, and and in, in my opinion, it seems like what they're doing is they're just, again, they're just devaluing the Bible and, yeah. and its worth in in studying. Right which they already have pretty much devalued that anyway about its translation. Mormon fundamentalists, you know, they continue with the original racism of Mormonism. And as far as I know, none of them have, maybe individually, but at least uh, as far as groups and communities, none of them have embraced the 1978 changes that the Mormon church made regarding the blacks. And the Book of Mormon continues to hold racist uh, accusations, teaching that bad people have black skin and good people have white skin. Right. And and so they've made some changes in their headings regarding all of this, and which the DNA, the light DNA also makes it relevant. Regarding the Lamanites, and we're gonna put this up on the screen again, uh, the introduction to the 1981 Book of Mormon, we read, after thousands of years, all were destroyed except the Lamanites, and they are the principal ancestors of the American Indians. And this has been changed to read, after thousands of years, all were destroyed except the Lamanites, and they are among the ancestors of the American Indians. This may not seem very significant, but really it's very significant.
2: Right. Uh, When I was growing up in Mormonism, I was taught that the Book of Mormon was about Uh, The the forefathers of the American Indians, they were Israelites that came over here, the main group, 600 B.C., and spread all over the Americas. And so uh, in my childhood, we were taught every Indian in North and South America, as well as the Polynesians and Islanders, were all Book of Mormon peoples they were all descended from those people. Mm. And the reason you had dark Indians when Columbus comes over here is because they are all the descendants of the dark people in the Book of Mormon story. Mm. But as uh, science and research on the Americas has progressed, uh, anthropologists all know that uh, the American Indians are not Israelites. They're all uh from uh, Siberia, descend from people coming over the Bering Straits and from this area of Siberia. Mm-hmm. And DNA has confirmed this. I right. mean, the theory was already there before DNA. But DNA established, yes, in fact, the chain for their ancestry does take them back to Siberia, doesn't take them back to Israel. Right. And so, uh, as DNA has become more and more of a problem for the Mormons on this, they now have finessed this statement again. Uh, because how do you explain that none of the Indians have a uh, Semitic DNA? Yeah. So they say, oh, well, they're they're just some small group and they got lost in the shuffle. And so what you have is DNA from all these other people that were in the land that weren't the Book of Mormon people, or else the Book of Mormon people so intermixed with this bigger group of non-Book of Mormon peoples that were already here in the land that it's washed out their DNA. Well, the whole Book of Mormon story is that the, the land of America was saved for a remnant of God's people to bring them over here to an empty land. I mean, that's specifically the claims in the Book of Mormon, that they're coming into an empty land. Mm-hmm science refutes that today. No, there were Indians here before the Book of Mormon period. Right. And so Mormon scholars realize they've got to back down on these claims. We no longer can say the Book of Mormon happened all over North and South America and the Polynesian Islands. Uh, we got to even get more fuzzy than that. We don't even know where any Lamanite is. Right. So today right. They, they don't even know who's a Book of Mormon person. That's
1: right. They sure don't. Absolutely. Um, and, and of course that well, let's go further on. we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> the, the heading for 2 Nephi chapter 5 has been reverted and so we're going to talk about that one now. The 1981 edition uh, of 2 Nephi chapter 5 read, Because of their unbelief, the Lamanites are cursed, receive a skin of blackness, and become a scourge unto the Nephites. Now it reads, because of their unbelief, the Lamanites are cut off from the presence of the Lord, are cursed, and become a scourge unto the Nephites. So again, we have a very significant change where the removal of the skin of blackness yes. is taking place. And explain what that's all about. And the text of that chapter, has it changed?
2: No, the te- that's what's funny. You read the chapter, and the whole chapter is about the uh, Lamanites being black-skinned, cursed people uh, with their skin color. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the heading has been modified to uh, predispose you to not think about the black skin, whereas before it made a point of it. Now Mm -hmm. they don't bring it up to your mind. I guess they hope that when you read through, it won't hit you. That, oh my goodness, you know, that this is kind of racist that yeah some people are made dark because God's mad at them and cursed them. Yeah, it's,
1: it's their way of programming. You yeah. just see things their way. Yeah. And yet in, in the text, it still calls them a dark and a loathsome, filthy people. Right. You know, and, and if you've got white skin, you're good and righteous. And if you've got dark skin, you're wicked and evil.
2: Right. And this is one of the curious things with the Mormons <clears throat> have lately been putting up different statements under their gospel topics and one of the statements they put up dealt with uh, the these kind of racial issues that have been in Mormonism's past, uh, but it doesn't solve the problem of the racism that's inherent in the whole Book of Mormon story. Exactly. Good guys are white; bad guys are b- dark or black.
1: Well, in the Book of Abraham, Book uh, of Abraham has racist, racist stuff in it, in as, it well, as well. Yes, and and again, I'd like to mention that these uh, the the the. Polygamists, the Mormon fundamentalists, hold on to these scriptures. They, oh yes. they buy them, they read them, they study them, they teach them, just like the mainstream Mormon church. Right, does. and they
2: and the polygamists were very very upset when the Mormons gave priesthood to blacks mm-hmm. back in seventy yeah. eight. In fact, some of the polygamists people ran a whole full page ad in the Salt Lake Tribune denouncing yeah. this new change. You can't change scripture. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> that's right. Okay, let's talk about plural marriage in the Book of Mormon. The old heading for Jacob, Chapter 2, which is kind of a significant chapter regarding polygamy. um, The old heading said, Men should seek riches to help their fellow man, dash. Jacob condemns the unauthorized practice of plural marriage, dash. The Lord delights in the chastity of women. Now, the new heading says, Men may seek riches to help their fellow men, The Lord commands that no man among the Nephites may have more than one wife. The Lord delights in the chastity of women. So they've made some change regarding plural marriage. What's the change? And explain that significance.
2: Well, the old heading uh, would uh, make it possible for a Mormon to justify in his own mind why Joseph Smith could live polygamy or why the early church leaders could, because uh, you, you couldn't live it unless God commanded you to do it. They don't even want you to think about the fact that God might command you to do it, so they rephrased this sentence that none of the people in the Book of Mormon guys, they weren't supposed to take more than one wife, so it's a downplaying of their previous defenses of why you could go into polygamy.
1: Hmm interesting very interesting i I find in the last phrase of that where it says god delights in the chastity of women and he didn't change that Uh, no but but i wonder doesn't he delight in the chastity of men
2: one would wonder (laughs)
1: yeah yeah. why did he choose to say women there and then as i was thinking about that one time i thought well something is desperately wrong with a god who delights in the chastity of women but promotes promiscuity of man through polygamy
2: Right. And with Joseph Smith's practice of polygamy, you have God supposedly promoting lying to practice it, Mm -hmm. to sneak behind his own wife Mm -hmm. and lie to the church, lie to the public to perform this. Right. And so how are these young women that he approaches supposed to handle this uh, problem, this contradiction when their scriptures say they only believe in having one wife and the prophet comes to you privately? And talks to you about polygamy. Now, be sure you don't tell Emma or anyone about this. Uh, How is that helping the chastity of women if you can go to them privately and ask them to go into a practice that publicly you're denouncing?
1: Especially when some of those women were married women. Yes. And if God delights in the chastity of women, why would Joseph Smith
2: marry married women to make
1: them (laughs) unchaste? Right. There's something definitely wrong with that okay let's go to the apostasy in sweden um, and that is your newsletter number 121 it's there up on the screen um and people might wonder what's this got to do with polygamy it's got a lot to do with it because i think that's part of why these yeah. questions start to come up um, there uh, b- before we get started g- give our viewers a brief background information on why this meeting in Sweden took place? What happened? (laughs) What was the precipitating
2: (laughs) event? Uh, Yeah, the uh, man that's uh, pictured on the front of our newsletter, Hans Mattson, he was an Area 70 in uh, Sweden. And um, so he had a fairly high level of uh, leadership for the LDS church in Europe. And he started having different members come to him with questions about early Mormon history. And one of the things people were asking him about was polygamy and Joseph marrying all these different women, teenagers and married women. And so this man, uh, as their spiritual leaders, starts looking into it to find out how to answer it. And so he starts finding there's all kind of problems. Now, this is back in 2005. Mm Mm-hmm and uh, he starts talking to different people and soon he's got 600 different Mormons all on an internet group uh, discussing these problem areas of Mormon history. So the church becomes aware of this and in 2005 they sent an apostle and some different men out to talk to uh, some of the people there uh, telling them they're going to give them answers and stuff. Uh, uh, you know, hang on, we're, we're dealing with it. And the years go by, and, and there doesn't seem to be coming real resolution in 2010. Some more apostles and church historians come out to talk to this group of people in Sweden. Finally, there's this meeting of a um, couple dozen Swedes with uh, different leadership of the church. And the two Mormon historians come out plus the Swedish leadership uh, was also at this meeting. (coughs) And so this was a chance for all these people to tell the leaders what their historical issues were. And of course, one of the issues was polygamy, uh, but it was also on um, uh, blacks and the priesthood. Uh, It was on Book of Mormon, how it was translated, Mm -hmm. uh, DNA, Mm -hmm. uh, the the Book of Abraham. There were many different questions that came up, but they've never been resolved. And I think that the recent statements the church has put up on their Gospel Topics page where they've recently done, uh, they did one on the First Vision, they did one on the Book of Mormon, Um, And they did one on Book of Mormon DNA, and they did one on um, Blacks in the Priesthood, and they did this one on polygamy and post-manifestal polygamy. (coughs) But those those are uh, not—they don't carry the answers any further than Mm -hmm. what these— People they don't. Were given.
1: No, they don't.
2: Clear back in 2005, uh, and,
1: they're, and they're still very blurry. Even yes. in that, they just yeah. uh, they just deceive by by trying yes. to blur the issues. So there were basically 15 questions that you covered in your newsletter, and of course, we, again, we can't <laughs> cover them all tonight. <laughs> right. But but we're going to do with a couple of them. So let's begin uh, with their question about the method of Joseph Smith's translation in the Book of Mormon. In 1888, uh, Emma Smith, Joseph's wife and scribe, yeah. described the dictation process of the Book of Mormon to her son. And this is what she said, and I quote, In writing for your father, I frequently wrote day after day, often sitting by the table close by him. He sitting with his face buried in his hat with the stone in it and dictating hour after hour with nothing between us. Now, this is how she, Emma, his wife, Said the the translation translation loosely used process took place for the Book of Mormon. Now there's a picture we have a drawing of Joseph Smith with his head in his hat, and it is it's something that we recognize there, um, that that's the way he he wrote the Book of Mormon. That
2: yes, the the people that were in the room when he did his transcribing his dictation. Their statements were all that he put his head in a hat and then uh, supposedly the stone would shine and he would be able to read the words off to the scribe, like Emma said, and the scribe would write them down. That's the way all the witnesses said it happened. Mm -hmm. But you never see in Mormon literature where they ever picture that. Right. All the pictures the Mormons have in their manuals, and on their website of him doing a translation of the Book of Mormon, shows him with the plates sitting on the table and him running his finger across yeah, the plates. And
1: there's some of the, a couple of them, a right of them there.
2: Yes, yeah. and that's the way they depict it. The historians all know that's not the way he did it. Exactly. The statements don't read that way. And that it's one of the examples of the deception they use on their members. This mm-hmm. was one of the things that upset the people in Sweden. Yeah. Why do you present these things to us in one way when you know that historically they were done a different way?
1: Well, I have a quote here. When they asked Turley, his response. Yeah. Now, uh, Turley
2: was one of the church historians. Uh huh. Right.
1: Um, and he was one of the ones that was no, there no, at the no, Swedish no, meeting. Yeah. So it was somebody asked, and this is his answer to that question. Quote. The hat was apparently to block light out so that Joseph could see what he was doing with the record. Sometimes the light, you know, affects your spirit. We don't know exactly how it works, but he did say this in the early days of his translation. He was relying on revelatory tools of some sort or another, Urim and Thummim, seer stones, whatever the case may be. Now, why did he need the gold plates if all he needed was his hat?
2: Well, this is the problem Uh, And this is why the church has not told the actual process, because the Urim and Thummim, he mentions, was supposedly an instrument God prepared that was saved with the plates so that when the plates were given to Joseph Smith and they were in a foreign language, he could use this Urim and Thummim, which was described as kind of spectacles, big spectacles they put on, uh, that he could use those to translate through. This is an instrument God prepared and saved with the plates for him. And yet, according to the witnesses, he only used that for the first little bit of translating. The majority, of the, the, what we have of the Book of Mormon today, the witnesses say, was all done with a stone and a hat. And mm-hmm. the problem is the stone and a hat is just a stone he found in a well. That he used for money digging, for seance work uh, to find buried treasure. Yeah. And then he uses the same stone to translate to the Book translate of Mormon. The Book of Mormon. Well, if God had saved for thousands of years this Urim and Thummim for the person to translate the Book of Mormon with, why does Joseph end up using a stone he found in a well? How could it work better? Yeah. Be more convenient than what God prepared.
1: Exactly. Good question, and and this worried the people in Sweden. They they actually they really worried about that, (laughs) and it should worry everybody. Actually, well, we need to take our break now. Um, We're we're done with the first half hour. We still have a lot to go, but we also want to open up the telephone lines for our viewers. Anyone wants to call in, ask questions of Sandra. or you know add to the discussion at all we would like to hear from you our numbers 801 973 TV 20 801 973 8820 and as we wait for the calls to come in we do have our message to share with you
3: You are watching Polygamy What Love Is This broadcasting live from Salt Lake City Utah This program is the broadcast outreach of a Shield and Refuge Ministry Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at TV at AboutPolygamy.com We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website www.WhatLoveIsThis.tv There you will find the DVD Lifting the Veil of Polygamy which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you, is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical? It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now back to polygamy what love is this with our host doris Hansen.
1: welcome back to our show tonight this is polygamy what love is this our guest is sandra tanner and we are talking about some changes that have been made in uh, the headings uh, of the mormon scriptures which definitely directly affect the mormon fundamentalists because they also rely upon the mormon scriptures for their scriptures and now we're talking about the meeting in sweden uh, where some LDS officials went over there to talk about some of the uh, deep questions that the Swedish Mormons had regarding uh, the history and the way history has been uh, whitewashed to them and they had not been told many things. Uh, right now I think we're going to go into the questions that they had about Joseph Smith's polygamy. Um, and um, why don't you Talk about your newsletter again. Maybe somebody just barely tuned in. Um, just <laughs> oh, to show okay. the, the newsletter again. That that yes. how they can get a hold of one because they may want some more information. Uh, on right. This.
2: <laughs> you want to read about the Swedish uh, situation. It's issue number 121, and uh, it's called Apostasy in Sweden. It's on our website. Anyone can go to the website and read it, and uh, it gives the references, the actual uh, meeting. When the church historians were there, was recorded. You can actually go on the web and listen to this whole interview of the Swedes asking the different church historians questions. And they very specifically had a discussion about polygamy uh, where the leaders uh, made uh, some admissions that most Mormons would be surprised at. And I think you had one of the quotes I, there. I
1: do have one uh, made by Turley. Um, he, he was, he's a historian
2: still, uh, currently still assistant church historian
1: okay and he, asked, he was asked about Joseph Smith's polygamy and polyandry and this is one of the answers he gave and it will go on the screen did Joseph Smith practice plural marriage yes many m- church members don't know it but the answer is yes now this is what he said did Joseph Smith practice polyandry marrying women who already had living husbands The answer is yes. Joseph Smith did practice polyandry. How many wives did Joseph Smith have? We're in the process, as you know, of preparing the papers of Joseph Smith for publication. We hope to include in the papers of Joseph Smith a list of Joseph Smith's wives based on the best available evidence. Well, I have a real problem with his non-answer here. You know, first of all, I've talked with many people, and I'm sure you've talked with many, many more mm-hmm. than I ever have, uh, of Mormons and ex-Mormons. Uh, polygamists know better, but yeah, they, yeah. The, the Mormons will—they call me liars and other names uh-huh. for even saying Joseph Smith was a polygamist right. or a pol- or polyandry. They've—they've they've accused me of all kinds of things, and here this church of storing is admitting mm-hmm. it's right. true.
2: Yes, and for for the reader that doesn't realize that polyandry means that he had women for wives that had living husbands. Mm -hmm. And so the Doctrine and Covenants section 132 only uh, mentions a man having 10 virgins. There's nothing there about marrying married women.
1: Absolutely. And
2: and here this church historian concedes Joseph practiced polygamy. He practiced polyandry having women for wives that had living husbands, had living husbands. but mm-hmm. then he tries to skirt around the whole thing by saying well we don't know exactly how many there were we're working on a count." Uh, well there there have already been great studies done we have lists of mm-hmm. the different women uh, Todd Compton's book in Sacred Loneliness is the biography of 33 of his plural mm-hmm. wives mm-hmm. and George D Smith's book Nauvoo Polygamy lists uh, i think it's 38 plural wives so it's not like we're in the dark about this well he
1: could even go to a previous historian andrew jensen he right. listed 28 and that was <laughs> decades ago right and then currently can't even come up with with something that a previous historian did come up with it's a delay tactic you know and and it, what what is so discouraging about all this is the leadership are the deceivers, because they know the truth. Yes. And they're the ones that's covering up. They deceived them for decades and decades and decades. And don't the members deserve to know the truth?
2: Right. If a person is going to make an informed decision, you need to be able to look at both sides of an issue. Mm-hmm. If you go to buy a car, you want to check out what the Chevy dealer says about the Ford, you want to know what the Ford dealer says about the Chevy. You don't just go in and accept the salesman's word on everything. And so the same with the missionaries coming to people's door to convince them of Mormonism, you should look at both sides. What right. do people say about this product? Uh, what What's the consumer uh, guide <laughs> to problems with the product? And the problem is Joseph Smith claims don't stand up to investigation
1: right exactly true now we do have a list we're going to put on the screen of joseph smith's wives where you can go on the web uh, www.wivesofjosephsmith.org and you can go there you can find a complete list of of the wife 34 including emma uh, 34 of his wives Uh, and more information about them. It's good, accurate information, and it's very easy to understand. So uh, you can go there and learn more about Joseph Smith and his polygamy and his polyandry. Uh, Well, it looks like we have some questions coming in on the phone, so let's go to those. Okay, so we have on line one, Gorm from Sandy. Gorm, you're on the air.
4: Oh, hi. Hello. Um, I have a question. Okay. If Joseph Smith stuck his head in a hat and looked at a rock to get the information for the Book of Mormon. What was the source material? In other words, he sat there hour after hour, day after day, looking at the rock. I'm suspecting the rock didn't really have any information on it. So how did he get the information? Did he make it up? Was it just all in his head? Where did that come from?
2: Well, we know from Joseph Smith's mother's biography uh, of Joseph Smith that she says that as a young man, before the Mormon church started, before he did the Book of Mormon, that he entertained the family with stories of the American Indian. Uh, It was a common discussion of the day. There were dozens of books printed speculating that the American Indian were from the lost tribes of Israel, so that the conversation around him would have given him the ideas and content for the Book of Mormon. I believe Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon. I think he had sufficient imagination uh, to put together from all the things he had heard in his community, uh, to put the book together. A lot of the Book of Mormon is just straight copied out of the Bible, Mm -hmm. Uh, King James English, which is a problem. Uh, So I think he had the resources to do that the Book of Mormon is not that great a book. I mean, the Mormons are always talking about what a great book it is. It's very wordy. It shows the obvious hand of an uneducated person. The storylines repeat continually. You have one great civilization come over here at the time of the Tower of Babel, and they grew to millions and killed everybody off at the Hill Cumorah. And then the Nephite Lamanite crowd comes over at 600 BC, grows to a great civilization. They end up killing everybody off at the same Hill Cumorah all over again. VH uh, Roberts, Mormon historian, wrote a book, *Studies of the Book of Mormon*, where he talks about how Joseph Smith's storyline is ob- uh, for the Book of Mormon is obviously drawn from things in his community and from his time.
4: So, are you suggesting that's not the most perfect book ever written?
2: <laughs> I certainly do not believe it is the most perfect book. <laughs> okay. So basically all made up out of his uh, imagination. And Yes. Whether he had help from someone else like Oliver Cowdery, who knows? But the main storyline, I believe, is Joseph Smith's idea. Nephi seems to be Joseph Smith's alter ego. Here you have the younger brother who's going to save the family. Um, and uh, he's the one chosen by God. And so Nephi seems to be... Joseph's idea of himself. I see things in the Book of Mormon that say to me, it's his idea.
3: So are you
4: suggesting that Oliver Cowdery also may be uh, one of the authors?
2: It's possible there could have been collusion there. Cowdery uh, came from Vermont, well, so did the Smiths, but Cowdery's family attended church where Ethan Smith, no relation to Joseph Smith, was the pastor. Ethan Smith wrote a book called View of the Hebrews that is not a storyline like the Book of Mormon but it proposes many theories that show up in the Book of Mormon that the American Indians are from the Lost Tribes of Israel. So there's many ideas I th- see and view of the Hebrews. Joseph could have been influenced by that. Cowdery was uh, I think third cousin of the Smiths. Um, I think the families knew each other and the church doesn't admit to that but I think they did. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know who all might have helped Joseph Smith but the Book of Mormon, I think, clearly can be shown to be a product of the 18, of the early 1800s. There are influences in it that show it's a book from that time period.
1: Mm, yeah.
2: Well, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Gorm, for calling. Okay, we have an off-the-air question. Has Hans Madsen left the LDS Church?
2: I don't think he has formally resigned. Uh, I don't know how much he goes. He moved from Sweden to Spain due to health reasons, I believe, and is retired now. Mm. Um, In fact, that's why he uh, uh, left his position as uh, Area 70 in Sweden is because of heart problems. Mm -hmm. And um, he used his time of recuperating from surgery to uh, do a lot of his study on Mormonism. Uh, So I, I don't think that he's active. Yeah. But like many people here in Utah that don't believe it, aren't active, they don't take their name off because of implications for family and friends.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, so, okay, now we have on line two Niven from Roy. Hello, Niven.
4: Hi, how are you?
1: Good, you're on the air.
4: Yeah, I, uh, the issue of polygamy uh, do you guys think that the church will ever disavow doctrine of covenants one thirty
2: two? that's a good question. Well, I don't know about disavow. They've already I changed mean, it every time to make it, make it sound
4: comes up, more they like say, well, the manifesto. Than but political. the manifesto is in scripture, and right. doctrine of covenants one thirty two is. Is that correct?
2: Right now, I don't. I could see them removing it from the DNC, but I don't think that would be. A disavow of the doctrine. Um, that's just the way they handle history. They they always kind of slide out without making direct statements about what they're doing.
4: Yeah, they always say, well, we don't do that. but it's
2: Well, they actually do still believe polygamy and it is still endorsed in the that's church. That's what they said. Because if a man outlives his wife, he can go to the temple and be sealed to his next wife and according to the Mormons, he will be a polygamist in heaven. Polygamy is still a doctrine of the church. And several of their apostles have remarried after their wife died and married in the temple and are looking forward to living polygamy in heaven.
4: Well, you know, Sandra, for whatever it's worth, I
2: admire your work. You're a brave lady. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Oh, great. Agreed.
1: Thank you for calling. Okay. Line three, we have Roland from Provo. Hello, Roland. We have Roland from Provo? And you need to turn off, um, turn down yeah, your volume.
4: Yeah. I uh, read many of the books about uh, the Joseph Smith's translation process. Uh, like the other gentleman said, for instance, that uh, how can a how can any person write a book like that by looking into a hat? Yes, I mean I know no man is, uh, knows my history, you know. And, and yeah. books have been written about trying to explain how Joseph Smith came up with a book like that. Now I I read all the books, and I there is religious instructions in there. They're unique. They are they are uplifting. They are true, and they are wonderful description. and uh, And how can a boy looking into a hat do that without? some other help that we don't understand how. There's so many, the, uh, the, the history of the Jews has been used in, in all this. This has all been proven to be just assumptions. There, there's no proof what he used. He was so uneducated. Emma herself said that uh, he couldn't write a, a sentence, you know, he didn't. Yes, but much. that
2: is not an, a factual statement. Emma was trying to make him look more stupid than he really was to make it all seem like God yeah. was involved. But uh, we have a sample of Joseph Smith's handwriting from 1832, and it is an educated hand. It's better handwriting than most of the kids write today. I don't think sun- he was that the uninformed.
4: Funnily, the funny thing is that all those that apostatized of his early helpers, even the Llewellyn uh, book, you know, uh, William McNaird's book, they, all, they always apostatized and denounced Joseph for what he, what they thought was wrong, but they never denounced the Book of Mormon.
2: Well, I believe Oliver Cowdery all, all,
4: all believed in the Book of Mormon to be true.
2: Well, first off, there are people that leave the polygamous groups that still believe polygamy is true. So just the yeah. fact <laughs> that people leave but and anyways, still believe doesn't yeah. mean anything. It yeah,
4: cannot be true. explained the way by saying, well, he did this and he did this.
2: Well, there, there is there's, more to
4: it than we understand. In well, our, there is no
2: historical right. evidence that the Lehigh crowd ever arrived in America. There's absolutely there's, nothing historical to support that book.
1: There's no nothing historical at all to support it. Not no. not the animals, not the coins, not the time, not the place, not nothing. Right. There's not a shred of evidence for the Book of Mormon. Um, okay, let's let's go quickly to. Um, A question that a member asked again about this polygamy of Joseph Smith and his having children Uh, and this is the question that the member asked and then we'll give Turley's response the question was one woman said the child that she bore she didn't know if it was the child of Joseph Smith or the child uh, of in this case Orson Hyde I think an apostle that was his polyandry so that indicates that it was definitely not a spiritual marriage, it was an all-the-way marriage. So, I have a question. What do you feel about that? And that his question was to Turley, yes. uh, and that was his question. And Turley's response is this, quote, It's true that Joseph Smith practiced plural marriage in that he had wives who were not married to anyone else. It's true that he practiced polyandry and he did have wives who were married to someone else. He never gave a personal answer to this guy never. at all. But but he is there an official statement on this from the church itself about his polygamy kids from...
2: No, they the, don't give anything that specific. Now... Uh, the question is, at some point when the church finally puts up a list of his wives, uh, how forthright they'll be about the union with the women. But uh, we, a lot of Mormons will try to argue, well, that was just a name. He didn't really have relations with these women. He didn't have children by them. And yet we find that, uh, for instance, one of his wives, Sylvia Sessions, mm-hmm. who was married at the time she married Joseph Smith, at the uh, end of her life, she's devout Mormon, came to Utah, everything. At the end of her life, she tells her daughter, Josephine, I named you Josephine because you're really Joseph Smith's child. Right,
1: right.
2: And so uh, here we have one of his plural wives saying she had a child by Joseph Smith.
1: And other and others uh, also admitted that they had sex with right, Joseph absolutely. Smith. Right, absolutely. It was came.
2: marriage in actual fact.
1: So when when Turley was pressed and continued to be pressed and almost forced into an answer, whether polygamy was a current doctrine, he finally said, and I quote, and this is going on the screen, quote, we do believe in polygamy. Speaking for the Mormon church, he said, we do believe in polygamy. We don't practice polygamy. That's what I'm trying to say. This came, now is this... Is this something that we can take to the bank? I mean, is this <laughs> real?
2: <laughs> well, Mormons are going to say that they don't trust the recording probably of the interview, but uh, that is the way the uh, church historian said it to this room full of people in Sweden. And the recording is on the internet. You can listen to the whole recording. Mm-hmm,
1: for sure, okay. Well, very quickly, we're getting, we're getting close to the end. Dean uh, from Salt Lake City. Dean, can you ask your question very quickly?
4: Uh, yes, I'm just wondering, on that uh, situation where uh, Joseph Smith practiced pol- uh, polyandry, uh, and I understand that they're, they're, their husbands still live with them, but what were they expected to do after that? Were they supposed to go and get another wife while the their first wife was, uh, you know, buried then to Joseph Smith? And do they still practice that, uh, that today in the polygamous groups? Do they still do the same thing?
2: Uh, some of the men did take other wives some of Joseph Smith's wives married Brigham Young and uh, some uh, ended up living just with Brigham Young and forsaking their husband when they came west. And then the husband's uh, like, uh, I think it was Sylvia Sessions' husband, wasn't it, that went off and married some woman in California? Uh, that was J- uh, oh. Jacob's, uh, Zena uh, Yeah, Zena, Zena Huntington, Huntington yeah. Jacob's husband. Yeah, I, uh, she was a married woman and she went and married Brigham when they came west after being married to Joseph and her husband had to go off and find another wife then. Uh, I don't know how and, the polygamists do it. Well
1: and the polygamists uh, they pretty much they don't do polyandry uh, but the, the FLDS have reassigned women you know yes. and, and so they've kind of switched them around like that. Uh, making it very confusing, especially for the family and of the children. Well, we didn't get through it all, Sandra, but we got a good, <laughs> got a good chunk out of it. And we appreciate our callers. Thank you for calling in. Thank yeah. you again. I'm sure that, that we'll have something to come back again uh, later on. You know, Malachi uh, chapter 3, verse 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. Uh, James one seventeen says, God does not change like shifting shadows. First Samuel 15:29 says God does not lie or change his mind. John 10:35 says the scripture cannot be broken. Matthew 5.18 says, Jesus said, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. You know, all these scriptures and more in the Bible testify to an unchanging God and His unchanging word. How could we ever trust a God who changes His mind or changes His requirements for those who are seeking Him? How can we ever trust a religion that does change with the times? And if God changes, does anyone have the right, uh, only if God changes, no one has the right to change what He said or change doctrine, especially doctrine that is essential to the eternal souls of mankind. How do you, our viewers, dare to trust and place your eternal fate in a changing religion? Jesus himself said in John 3 11, I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. How sad it will be for those who face Jesus Christ on judgment day, and they are forced to answer him, I didn't believe you, I believed my church instead. Jesus Christ said and made the claim, He said, I am the truth. Truth is important, folks. Truth matters. You can't play with it. And I would like to ask our viewers again, why don't you believe the truth? Good night.
0: This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This?